The Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by Hydroid. Hydroid's small, medium, and large class Remus unmanned underwater vehicles are used worldwide to collect valuable data in waters up to 6,000 meters deep for mine countermeasures, hydrography, and search and rescue operations. Learn more about Remus UUVs at www.hydroid.com. Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me is my co-host, Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine. Hello, Bill. Hello, Ward. So we have breaking news at the moment. There's a Russian mini-submarine called, uh, we think it's a Losharik, uh, which is part of their uh, underwater uh, reconnaissance program, sort of a special part of the Russian submarine, Russian Navy uh, uh, service. Uh, out of uh, the Kola Peninsula yesterday, probably doing some uh, workups in territorial waters, according to some things that were put out by the Russian Ministry of Defense. Uh, submarine caught on fire and 14 sailors dead. Apparently, the submarine is back in port, and uh, that's what we know so far. So USNI News, uh, Sam Legrone and, and company are following this very closely. I just got off the phone with uh, Lucian Kim from NPR. He's the Moscow correspondent in uh, in Moscow. So Scott Christensen, our director of media outreach, connected me with him. Uh, I served as a naval attaché in the mid two thousands and was part of a Russian of a of a international rescue of a of a small Russian submarine off the coast of Kamchatka in August of two thousand five. So Lucian Kim wanted some background on you know sort of Russians asking for help and what this submarine was maybe doing, all these things. But that's what we know so far. So. Uh, the Russian underwater reconnaissance program, um, this specialized, very specialized and small submarine. Uh, we think it was what was called Losharik class submarine uh, off the coast of the Kola Peninsula. Um, and the Russians say it was in territorial waters when this happened, probably part of its uh, initial workups in the summertime. Submarine caught fire and 14 sailors dead. That's what we know so far. So Drudge picked up the USNI news story. And as you saw on Google Analytics, you know, just going bonkers right now uh, with five or 6,000 people reading that story um, uh, as we were starting the podcast. So that's the news. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, over the next 24 hours. Thoughts with uh, with them as they deal with that? You know, we've done the same thing a couple of summers ago when we had Fitzgerald McCain. We know what it's like peacetime sailing and, and this kind of mishap is uh, tragic. But for all the news, go to uh, US9 News as always. And uh, as you mentioned, good on Sam and the team for, uh, for breaking the story right now. So the other thing that's happening around here is the July issue just hit the streets. What should the listeners know about what's in that issue? Yeah, so the July issue of Proceedings is out. Uh, a couple of things uh, highlighted Give a shout out to uh, a former um, guest of the podcast. So Lieutenant Andrea Howard won this year's Emerging and Disruptive Technologies Essay Contest sponsored by MITRE. Uh, so that essay, which is about hypersonic weapons, is in the um, 
uh, in the issue. Uh, and Andrea is a submariner on a on SSGN out of uh, Washington State. Uh, she's a rock star. Uh, she was a Marshall, Marshall scholar, scholar. When we talked to her at the podcast, Naval Academy 2015, and just uh, doing great things. But she keeps writing for us, so that's great. It's uh, you know sort of proceedings and and writing has gotten into her DNA. So we're excited about that. Um, and uh, we yesterday we were talking with uh, Admiral Daly, our CEO, about some things that are coming up for the institute. Um, a few really big pieces, uh, you know, sort of moving pieces for the, the Institute overall right now. So we've mentioned uh, maybe a few episodes bef- uh, ago that uh, the Naval Institute is going to build a conference center, uh, the Jack C. Taylor Conference Center. So Jack Taylor was is the uh, the founder of Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Enterprise is named after the USS Enterprise. Jack Taylor flew off the Enterprise combat operations in uh, against the Japanese in World War II, came back home and, and founded what is now the largest private company in America. Uh, so Jack Taylor, they're the lead donor for this very big project, probably the, the biggest project the Naval Institute's ever done. We're going to break ground on uh, September 18th, right right outside of Studio C here. And um, Yeah, so uh, we're probably going to have to move this, the studio during the construction yeah, of so, the conference center. Right, right, right. So the, uh, <laughs> the, the construction noises we had here a year ago yeah, when they were, were repairing the roof compared were to what we're going to have. Minor compared up. to that. Yeah, but that's but great. What a it, cool problem yeah, to have. Right. When it's done, we're going to have a, a professional studio. Yes. So we really will have, you know. We'll In have, fact, it could be the pre- proceedings TV is what we may wind up doing. No lie. Yep, TV. We'll green screen, all kinds thing. of stuff. So. Yeah. Maybe we'll take the format and 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 do uh, the video side of it on a regular basis yeah. as well. Very but- very exciting. And uh, so uh, bids from construction companies will be in next week, and we're hoping that we get a couple of really good bids and I get to you know sort of pick a litter of those and start construction in September. Uh, later in July, we've got a, uh, a board of directors meeting. Admiral Stavridis, our current chair, will be stepping down as the uh, as the board chairman, and Bob Work, the Honorable Bob Work, uh, the former Deputy Secretary of Defense will take over as the chairman of the board of the Naval Institute. So that's very exciting. So a lot of moving parts here this summer. And uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it keeps churning, deadlines, news, uh, books, you know, you name it. We got yeah, it. Yeah, it's always, right? always busy here. And uh, another thing to tease out is we'll be in Reno from September 5th to the 8th for the Tailhook Convention. We're very excited to be back there after we were absent last year. You were there two, two years, years ago. ago. Right. And uh, we're excited to get out there and see the TAC Air uh, folks for a couple of days in September. Yeah, so, and, and uh, have a booth. There. And we have a booth out there. Right. Uh, we hope to do some uh, signings with our authors uh, out there, including I'll be there to sign Funk's War. Uh, but uh, we're very excited about that. So if you're making plans to go out there, uh, we look forward to seeing you come by our booth. And if you're not making plans or you hadn't made plans, maybe this is the reason to go, right? Come yeah. and we'll actually be recording the Proceedings Podcast. Right. We'll do from an episode our booth or, or maybe a daily episode. We'll be doing a daily episode just like we did at West. So yep. it's very exciting stuff. We're and it's the that. 50th anniversary of Top Gun. And we are teeing up some great stories in the September issue of Proceedings on Top Gun. So basically from- we have two right now. We have a historical look. Right. Um, and we're also going to do a current events uh, sort of update kind yep. of thing. Exactly. And, and maybe more. We don't know. Maybe more. But uh, at least those two. And so that's going to be a great issue. That's our aviation theme issue, uh, which uh, will have other stuff as well. But as you've mentioned rightly, that's a, what is happening at Hook. The theme at Hook this year is Top Gun, uh, their 50th anniversary of the uh, Center of Excellence that is Top Gun, the Navy Fighter Weapons School. 
So that's going to be a cool, cool event. Looking forward to that. Definitely. Well, let's get to our guest today. So joining us from the University of Chicago out in Chicago, Illinois, are two ensigns, uh, both Naval Academy graduates, class of 2018, who are now in grad school getting a master's in public policy at the university uh, uh, out there, Chicago Circle. Uh, so joining us is uh, Tom Krasnation and Nick Perezo, both ensigns, and they are hosts of a podcast of their own called Thank You for Your Service, which is a uh, University of Chicago uh, podcast. And I listened to a few episodes uh, before interviewing them today. It's a great show. They've had some really, really top-notch uh, guests out, you know, uh, General McChrystal, they had Admiral Stavridis, they had um, uh, Michelle, Michelle Flournoy. Flournoy. Yeah. We'll talk about yeah. this. Yeah. Okay. Don't, don't right. give it away. Well, uh, you know, um, sort of letting people know, like, who, the, these guys, you know, they're ensigns. They're but they, ensigns. Yeah, they're they awesome. Got, they got so giant shoes. We've been talking to them for some, some months now, and it, it's taken a while to get them on the show. Uh, so, guys, welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. Thanks so much for having Thank us. You. Thank you. Thank you so much there. for having us. Yeah. So a little bit of your backstory. Uh, So uh, talk to the folks about um, each one of you. Well, you are classmates from the class of? 2018. 2018. 2018. Okay. And so. We're going to speak in unison this whole time. It'd be like the, uh, what's that HGTV show with the twin brothers? What's that one called? Property Brothers? (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So, um, no, let's not do that. So. How did you guys get out to the uh, University of Chicago in this master's program? So both of us were part of the uh, the Senior UK program there at the Naval Academy, which is designed to help midshipmen um, win scholarships and go on to immediate graduate education. Thomas and I are both fortunate enough to be approved uh, to go to the University of Chicago to pursue our master's in public policy. So that's kind of what brought us here. And how long is this program? The program is two years, and both of us also were able to get a scholarship from the University of Chicago to let us go. So everybody in that program at the Naval Academy, the senior UK program, um, has to obtain some kind of funding from an outside source. Um, so the University of Chicago gave us um, a merit scholarship so we could be here. And uh, yeah, and after that, the Navy had to approve the curriculum that we were um, pursuing, and that's how we ended up here. So did you guys pursue that curriculum, or did it exist, or how, how did that work? Uh, Navy Education Training Command has a number of requirements that your curriculum has to meet. Uh, so we had to go through beforehand and look at the courses that were being taught at the university, see which ones fit into the prerequisites that was required by Navy Education Training Command, uh, and then once those all lined up, um, sent it up to Training Command for approval. And does this two-year program extend your commitment in the Navy? It does, but one of the really big advantages of doing it at the point in our career that we are is that it, we serve that commitment um, concurrently with our original Naval Academy commitment. So it really will only extend us by about a year. Gotcha. And uh, Tom, what's your service selection? My service selection is submarine. And how about you, Nick? Uh, Nuke Swell. Nukeswo. So when this finishes up a year from now, you guys will both be headed to Charleston for Nuke School? I'll be heading to my ship right after I graduate from here, uh, the USS Roosevelt. In Mayport, you were saying? Yes, Mayport. And Thomas? And then I'll be heading straight to Charleston for Nuke School. Gotcha. And and do you know um, what submarine you're going to go to ultimately, or does does that selection happen after Nuke School? Uh, That happens after Nuke School. 
Got it. So uh, talk a little bit about thank you for your service. Uh, was the idea for a podcast that that sort of come out of the curriculum out there at Chicago, or is that your idea and it's sort of an addendum, you know, something that you're doing extracurricularly? How, how did that come apart? As you guys know, um, podcasting is really big right now. It's kind of the medium of communication of choice for a lot of firms and organizations and academic institutions now. And it's just a way that people, especially in our generation, are consuming information, information about all kinds of different things. And so at our school, at the Harris School of Public Policy, they have the infrastructure there, the resources for students to create their own podcasts. And there's a pretty significant number of students who are involved in this podcasting club. Um, it's definitely not something that Nick and I had imagined doing when we came here, but we kind of got recruited for it. There was like a info session at one of our orientations that we went to and we were like, Oh, that looks cool. We signed up for it. Um, both of us had been sort of reading about civil military relations over the past year. And we were thinking, you know, we, it was very much on a whim. We just decided, you know, it'd be fun to start this podcast. So we submitted a proposal um, it got approved and that's how, that's how it got started. So what, what was the proposal? What, what, how did you pitch the, uh, thank you for your service podcast? Uh, we presented it as kind of an educational exploration of American civil military affairs. What we found when we got to the university was we were surrounded by a lot of really intelligent and bright and engaged civilian policy students. Uh, but one thing that was perhaps unfamiliar to them was the military and service members and veterans. And so we wanted to find a way to connect our experience with theirs in a way that was really easily understandable and easily digestible. And we thought that doing it through a podcast might have been one of the best mediums to explore that, having guests on who are really well-versed in this topic share their wisdom and their experience to our civilian policy classmates. So your audience and also an important part of our, I'm sorry, yeah, an important part of our proposal that we um, included was that it is also it is a public policy issue that when um, obviously it's a personal on the ground issue, the civil military gap. We don't know much about you know the civilian population doesn't know much about the military, um, but that has policy implications, and so that was also what we wanted to get into in this podcast, and that's kind of how we sold it to the school to let us for them to let us do it. So you you see your audience as uh, mostly civilians. You're trying to help educate civilians on on military issues and and policy issues so that they better understand the military. Or is your audience sort of both? Some military to understand the civilian side and and vice versa. What who are your listeners? I describe our listeners as uh, both civilian policy students, but um, also as people in the military, uh, especially, I think, junior officers and midshipmen can learn a lot from the discussions that is going on on the podcast. It's a great way for not only civilians to just learn more about the, the military and what kinds of issues that the military deals with, um, but also it really helps us, and I think it, it, it has helped other midshipmen and junior officers and has potential to um, just help help make sense of kind of the military as a profession and its relationship with um, with civilian society and it's it's just it's very enlightening in that respect for people who are in the military I think 
So you guys mentioned you didn't have any podcasting experience, no, you know, show entertainment quotient experience kind of a thing. So it's one idea to, or it's one thing to pitch the idea and get it approved. It's something else altogether, as we know, to sort of execute week in and week, week out. So how did that go for you? I think you can definitely tell in our first few interviews, we're pretty green at it. Um, <laughs> it took us a while to work on our transitions from each question. Uh, it took us a while to get comfortable uh, in front of the microphone. But, you know, after doing uh, episode after episode, I think we, we definitely um, have improved our technique at least a little bit. It's not just us, too. There's a, I mean, there's a, uh, probably a dozen or so other students at the university who have at some point been involved in the production. So at first, until, you know, relatively recently, Nick and I actually didn't know much about the audio engineering and how to set up the microphones and stuff. And there were, there were other students who came in and did that um, because that's, you know, that's what they enjoyed doing and that's how they helped out. We also have a, a producer on the show named uh, Haz Yano, and he is a captain in the army. He's um, doing a graduate program at the university um, in preparation to teach at West Point. So he's he's been behind the scenes doing a lot of helping us script our interviews and produce episodes. Um, so we've had a lot of help, not just the two of us. So you guys record in a, like a real studio with real equipment kind of a thing? Real equipment, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I, I, I was noticing on the website as I was listening uh, yesterday and today uh, that you do have some support infrastructure. You've got a producer, you've got an engineer, right? And that's that's whole you know sort of part of this program at University of Chicago, which is really terrific. Uh, we we need to think about that, Ward. A little of that support, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's all students, and with very few exceptions, none of them really had any any prior experience. With this. So the, the university um, resources this and they uh, they have a, a I mean, I want to say there's like 70 or 80 people in this club probably who are all like learning podcasting skills because it's just going forward. It is an important item for people to have on their resume um, so they can like help make a podcast. And that's it's important now in yeah, today's no. media environment. Definitely. And it sounds great. And, uh, you guys, you have an amazing lead in your, your music and, uh, you have little, uh, short clips from various presidents from Eisenhower to Obama to George W. Bush to even President Trump sort of talking, you know, very, very quickly on military, uh, issues, right? And then you, then you go into your guests and your, and your show, but it's, it just, it sounds wonderful. It's a very, very professional show. How have you gone about booking your guests? Is that something that they do or you guys have done the outreach because your gets, as we say in the business, have been very impressive. As Bill um, was talking about before he introduced you, you've had McChrystal, Flournoy, Mullen, yeah. all, all kinds of impressive. David Axelrod. Axelrod. Yeah. Yep. Um, he's a Chicago guy, I guess. Right. Um, and uh, so how how were you able to get them um, on the show for starters and we'll talk about what you surprised you, what you've learned from some of them. But how were you able to get them on the mm -hmm. show? Really got a big boost from Admiral Mullen. And as you guys know, he spends a lot of time on the yard. He was in our Link, Link in the Chain class, class of 1968. Um, so he showed up at a lot of our class events. And I had gotten to know him just very tangentially uh, through some of those events. And after, he asked me what I was doing after graduation told them I was going to Chicago. Um, anyway, I kept in touch with him 
And when we had the idea for the podcast, I emailed him. Um, I did not think he was going to say yes to coming on the podcast, but um, he did say yes because as all of our guests do, he believes that this is a really important discussion to have, this discussion about civil-military relations. And after that, it was kind of a cascade. Like, just having him on was a, a, a large credibility boost for us. Also, our, um, uh, our, our first guest, actually, was Dr. Corey Shockey, who um, was, you know, just kind enough to accept our invitation. Um, we emailed her. And after having those two pretty, pretty reputable figures, um, it became, it became, it, 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 I guess that just gave us some more credibility when we got in touch with these other people. Also, uh, the Institute of Politics here at the University of Chicago is like an, it's a nonpartisan, um, just kind of training ground for people who want to work in politics later in their careers. And it's not a, a curricular program. It's just like a, um, it's a club. It's basically an extracurricular program. And David Axelrod runs that. So he helped get a couple of our guests and he he came came on um for one of our last episodes and i think that the reason they've been so open and candid and willing to come on and speak is because our guests know how important of a topic this is and they do want to share it with a wider audience so so talk about that a little bit about you know this idea of civil military relations and, and perhaps even the the stress that that the relationship between the U.S. populace and the U.S. military is under right now. What are you hearing in terms of themes from uh, all of your guests uh, and perhaps some of the, the possible remedies that, that they're talking about? As we've said this many times, but we are not experts on any of these topics. There's lots of people who are experts, and we've been fortunate enough to hear from them. Um, those, I mean, really... One of the things that they all seem to agree on is that more engagement is needed between society and um, the military. And that includes the military being um, more transparent with the general public. Um, a lot of our guests have criticized recently the Department of Defense's policy of basically not having press briefing. We haven't had a press briefing, on-camera press briefing from the Pentagon in like a year. Um, and that, that has been something that almost all of our guests universally have been critical of. Um, on the other side, it, it, it means, um, civilians stepping forward and becoming engaged with, um, members of the military and learning about it and also just taking a, like taking an ownership, um, or becoming more invested, I guess, in what the military does and what its policies are. Um, and for that feedback to be part of the democratic process that our country has. We can't have the military um, standing alone um, outside of, you know, outside of democratic accountability from the civilian public just because the civilian public isn't, doesn't know anything about it or feels completely disengaged and isolated from it. This, this is a topic that's been covered in proceedings uh, over the years. I remember going to one of the first conferences when I was lieutenant and was became interested in, and involved in, and then ended up serving on the editorial board of the Naval Institute. And uh, back in the in the early 1990s, people were already talking about how you know the greatest generation, those uh, members of the World War II generation, had come home, and many of them had run for co you know run for office, right? And so the number, the percentage of serving 
congressmen and senators and, and presidents that had served in the military was very high and then started to, you know, peak and wane in the, in the 19, you know, late eighties and into the 1990s. And so people were already talking about, Hey, we're going to have this growing, uh, divide between a professionalized military, many of whom are, as you are, Ward, you know, sons of people who served in the military. It's like the family business, right? And so, you know, <laughs> and you, you get, um, you know, the folks out in, in small town USA have less and less direct knowledge, uh, and direct, you know, well, connection. Small town USA. Small right? town, big town, wherever, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, yeah. less and less, uh, you know, direct contact. They, you know, their brothers, their fathers, their mothers, their sisters, their aunts and uncles haven't served, right? Yeah. And so. And it was, it was that divide was further widened by the Vietnam War and the boomers. Yes. And, and, you know, the notion of service that, the greatest generation had accepted as sort of axiomatic to being an American, the follow-on generation, to put it mildly, challenged it. And so the military fell out of fashion. You know, we're all graduates of the Naval Academy. And if you think about being a mid during Admiral Mullen's time, imagine being a mid in 1968, um, not to, or, or, you know, to me, the, the hardest year groups, I think, in terms of fitting in with, with pop America, which, you know, we are at once mids, but we're also undergraduate students. And, and that's a time for learning, for personal development, for maturing and discovery and all the other things that are supposed to happen at quote unquote college or in the Naval Academy's case, the uncollege. <laughs> and so um, imagine doing that between, let's say, 68 and 72. You know what the number one midshipman Liberty piece of equipment was? A long hair wig. And so you would go out into town and you'd put on this wig. Wow. Right? And, and uh, so that you, because, you know, when, when I was a mid, not to mention when you guys were mids, short hair didn't distinguish you as a, a military person. And especially short hair in an era where being a military person uh, with other college students was not cool. You know, it was like baby killer and all the other stuff that we take for granted. It's all like the name of your podcast would not be thank you for your service if your podcast was recorded in 1968. You know? <laughs> it would be, right. what the hell are you doing, baby killers, right. would be the name of your podcast. Um, and, and so, right. you know, the, I Maybe think... Maybe we'll look at that for next year. Yeah, well, but you, you don't need to because that era has passed. But the point with respect to the civilian-military yeah. divide is it, it was very much enhanced during the 60s. Uh, and I know this because, as Bill mentioned, my dad was a Marine pilot and served in Vietnam. And I watched him um, get hassled in places, in public places. Um, you know, here I am, a young, you know, kid, very proud of my dad. And the idea that somebody would harass him when he was in uniform in a public place uh, just really did traumatize me. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm open-minded and my politics are what they are. But I remember that very distinctly. And, and so what I don't take for granted, and I've warned, um, you know, folks about this whole thank you for your service in the post 9-11 bonhomie, uh, it has a shelf life, right? And I think a lot of the reason that people are so much into it uh, post 9-11 is because of the what I'll call boomer guilt. And I know that's a cliche, but if you, if you look at some of the most ardent sort of pro-military guys, you know, I mean, there's some extreme examples like Ted Nugent or somebody like that, but a lot of them avoided service and now they're the scions, their sons and daughters have served and they're hyper supporters. 
So you can either say that that's a beautiful symbiotic thing, or you can say that's hypocritical. I, I, I won't judge, but the divide is real. And so I would ask you guys, what have you observed in that environment of University of Chicago? What, what, are, you, what are you seeing attitudinally in it, and what has surprised you or even shocked you about your classmates or just the general populace there in, in and around Chicago? What I observed when I first came to the university was a kind of like culture shift, you know, coming right from the Naval Academy and then being immersed fully in a civilian institution. Uh, that's pretty different. And when I talked about my experiences, the conversation never went further than, oh, you're in the military? Well, thank you for your service. Uh, and I wanted to explain to them a lot more that, well, I just graduated from the Naval Academy and now I'm here on my first assignment. I really haven't been doing that much. Like I have buddies who are on their way right now doing a lot more than I am. Uh, there are all these stories and experiences I wanted to share, but once they said thank you for your service, it kind of just ended the conversation. Um, yeah. and so that's like, kind how's of it going? If you, if you say other than fine, they're like, oh, geez, I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And that's where the name of the podcast came from, is that we want through the podcast to make the discussion more than just thank you for your service, something beyond that. Yeah, you asked about Chicago itself. And Chicago, um, as a lot of big cities are in the United States, is in a very, a very, very like military-friendly place. Everywhere we go, um, if you show your military ID, you get a discount on something, or you get into all the museums for free. You can ride the all of the uh, the public transit in Chicago is completely free for active duty people, um, which is nuts. Um, the one thing we would say about that, though, is that it's a lot easier for people in society to give handouts or give, um, you know, give acts of charity, basically, to service members than it is for them to really think about what it is that they're sending service members to go and do on their behalf. And so that's, you know, a big part of the thank you for your service mentality. You've mentioned the boomer guilt. Um, a lot of the thank you for your service, um, reverent, uh, patriotic displays of support for the military, um, that has risen in the, in the United States over the last couple decades. Um, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a, it's a cheap way to excuse yourself as a member of society from really engaging w with what the military um, is doing. And like I said earlier, kind of having, having an ownership stake in that. Yeah. So thank you for your service has almost become ironic in a way, right? It, it's sort of, uh, uh, it's like a platitude. Oh, it's absolutely a platitude. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, it's really, I mean, and it's, a, it's a, I mean, it's well-received and it's always well-intended um, but in military circles, as you guys probably know, um, and especially among younger officers and younger people, it's, it's kind of a joke. Um, like we, we say it to each other, you know, as a joke, we, uh, you know, kind of, kind of, it's, it's just, it's a symbol of a lot of things. It's a symbol of like general public's, um, disengagement from the military, um, this sense of reverence, even for those of us who haven't done anything in the military um so it, it is a little bit ironic and it has a lot it has a lot of different connotations for people yeah and it, it things that we just accept or because we're this is our lives right from from i day until whatever we just are immersed in this culture it has its own lexicon it has its own mores it has its own norms and 
So it would be kind of like if we met a doctor and we're like, so, oh, what do you do? Right. And he's like, I'm a doctor. And we could just dismiss it. Oh, that's great. And then we did. He's like, but no, wait, I want to tell you more. I'm, I'm an orthopedic surgeon and I do right. this and this and this. Right. Because we're like frustrated that they, well, look, I'm, I'm going nuke SWO and it's different than being a submariner and it's different than, and when they say thank you for your service, it's this big broad brush, this monolithic blob where we're all the same and there's no distinction between branch of service, not to mention warfare, especially or anything else. And they probably don't want to hear unless you're in some intimate setting where it really is a conversation, right? And again, this gets back to the thank you for your service podcast and the mission of that podcast is to sort of make that into sort of episodic chunks that that people over the course of the show can start to get a sense of what it is. So what have been the breakthrough parts of the show so far with respect to really like not maybe mind blowing as a high bar, but what what have some of the guests said that that just really were like major takeaways? And I think of for instance, McChrystal is is really a master of framing things. He's really a Renaissance man. Um, I had him on um, when I was at We Are the Mighty. We had him on uh, one of our Mighty on the Move shows. It was a video show at his mm-hmm. office there in Old Town, and he's just fantastic. Uh, with uh, in fact, I can tell this story now. Um, I, the, the last time I had seen him was in Kabul. I was embedded back in 2010 when I was the editor of military.com and our last, uh, evolution before we flew out of the country and we'd been there for a month was to interview him at ISAF in Kabul. And so I got back to the States and, um, in fact, his PAOs were bragging that they had, they, they said, we'll talk to anybody. In fact, we just talked to Rolling Stone. Oh boy. Right. And, and I'm like, well, that's cool. I mean, I subscribed to Rolling Stone. I've been subscribed since I was a high schooler. You know, good for you guys. Right. Um, not knowing the whole Michael Hastings, you know, kind of thing. Where that was going. Yeah. yeah. The runaway general thing. Yeah. And so, you know, two weeks after we talked to him, he got fired. So as I'm about to do this interview with him, I'm going, Hey, how about this general for the premise? Um, I'll say, Hey, you know, the last time I saw you was, in Kabul, and then a couple of weeks later, um, you know, it didn't go so good. And so, how did you bounce back and so forth? And he goes, Yeah, you can ask me that question, but I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> well, that won't be a very good interview, right? Um, that's going to be a pretty short interview then. Um, and, and so, you know, he wanted to talk about the national service piece. Um, so, right. uh, but not not to lead you guys to a spe- specific soundbite, but what are some of the, you know, as the, the highlights of the show so far with respect to really like, oh, this is a keeper in terms of things that the uh, the, the guests have said. Well, on that note of General McChrystal, um, on the podcast, he pointed out from his own personal experiences how he thought the Huntingtonian framework for civil relations wasn't fully adequate. Uh, in the Huntingtonian framework, you know, the military is the technician, the policymakers say, go and do this, and the military... Um, they go and they do that. Uh, but McChrystal was talking about how at, at the highest level of military policy, um, that's all intertwined. And policymaking is always intertwined with military action in real time. And so it isn't enough for the military to just be that Huntingtonian technician. They need to have a more savvy understanding of the political context and how that all works. So I thought that was really fascinating to hear, especially tied into his own personal experiences. Yeah, I, I would say that your uh, interview with David Axelrod 
uh, sort of foot stomps some of that same point, right? Axelrod was talking about how uh, General Jones, who was the national security advisor for a short time uh, under President Obama, uh, you know, sort of criticized a little bit how the policymaking was done. And, and Axelrod was talking about how the, the role of the president has to put this in a in a context and then sell things to the national to the to Congress and also to the people, right? And so, the the political uh, ramifications and calculations are very real, and and it, it all has to kind of come together, and it it only all falls together under one person, you know. Largely, it's it it comes down to the president to sort of weigh all those different pieces. Mm-hmm. So, Thomas, what what do you remember, or what what jumps out at you in terms of who the guests have been, and maybe some. Uh, amazing things that they said um well one of the uh two I'll, I'll i'll do two so and they're both similar um senator mccaskill we had senator claire mccaskill who was uh senator from missouri for 12 years sat on the senate armed services committee and did a lot of work um on congressional military oversight um with the way the military handles sexual assault um the way the military does uh, contracting and what she said right at the end of her interview which i thought was incredibly interesting was that she started her you know she'd been raised just like everybody else you know sort of you know you know you're supposed to respect the military in america you know um but she started off her senate career very skeptical of the military um kind of she said they thought the mil- she thought she thought the military was kind of a bunch of cowboys and uh, as she worked with the military and really learned about it and became invested in the policy issues that affect the military, um, she gained uh, a great deal of, of real respect for the men and women in the armed forces and the military leaders that she dealt with. Um, I thought that was really cool. How she didn't, you know, a lot of Americans, like we were talking about earlier, just adopt a posture of reverence or gratitude towards the military without knowing anything about it. Um, but she developed that in a really robust way through her work um, with the military. And then our last guest, our final guest for the season was Jake Tapper, the CNN anchor. And he um, also started, he, he, he started his career as a journalist um, with basically no familiarity, familiarity with the military whatsoever. Um, he hadn't served. He had like a, a grandfather that served or something. But he uh, and then he, he ended up doing this book project, um, this book called The Outpost, about a battle that took place at Combat Outpost Keating in Afghanistan, ended up interviewing 225 or so service members for this book. Um, and now he is someone who has a great deal of respect and uh, engagement with the military and does a lot from his platform, which is enormous, um, to, to bridge the civil military divide. And he, he, the way he put it is act as an ambassador between the, the military kind of explaining to the civilian public what the military is up to and also bringing questions from the civilian public to the military. Um, and he's able to do that very effectively and genuinely because of that time that he spent becoming invested and engaged. Um, so just hearing those stories of, of, of civilians who really had no military background um, and how they went from being, you know, a regular member of society who's relatively uh, disengaged 
from the military to somebody who's who is very invested um, in what the military does, not unquestioning of the military or like a fan of the military necessarily, just just cares about it a lot, cares about it enough to engage with it and to hold it accountable. Um, well, we thought those were you know those a, were cool. as we know, this is gets back to DoD engagement, right? So post 9-11, the embed program. Um, which was actually created by um, a guy I worked for when I was at military.com, T. McCreary, when he was Chinfo, or not when he was Chinfo, when he was the PAO for SecDef sec um, and, and uh, post 9-11. So that's a very successful initiative. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to embed, as I mentioned, when I interviewed uh, General McChrystal, but, you know, I was just a regular reporter in spite of my, you know, military pedigree and spent a bunch of time with the army and, and you know, Paktika province at outposts and fobs and all over the place. And, you know, you don't spend too much time around uh, the fighting men and women of the U S military without developing great respect and, and watching them in action. I got to walk patrols and mess where Bo Bergdahl wandered off and, you know, wrote MRAPs up and down route alpha for, for days on end and just realized that as a, a journalist, a digital journalist, I didn't know half of what I needed to know in order to capture stories correctly. I was leveraging my naval aviation experience, which was long since long in the tooth. And so what this has yielded is people like Jake Tapper and Sebastian Younger and, um, you know, uh, Gary Sinise is probably the most, uh, you know, visible example of a guy who has no military background, but he's become a huge supporter in his foundation doing all kinds of stuff. So those examples are really the poster children of what you're talking about in terms of engagement yields understanding that becomes advocacy, right? And so every opportunity that Mm -hmm. Jake Tapper has to set somebody right, including a guest that may be on a bad vector about the military's motivations or what's happening, um, helps us with respect to that understanding. But as we described at the beginning of the show, that's in peril potentially based on um, the the attitude of DOD, which is probably reading the tea leaves from, you know, the White House, I'm guessing here, um, and all the turnover at, at the top of the, uh, the, the SecDef chain there. Um, but seriously, here it's been over a year and we've never, we haven't had uh, the Secretary of Defense do a press conference. We take our interns there, um, each each block, we take all the interns to the Pentagon and they shadow our news team and we go to the press room and uh, it's never being used. You know, in fact, it was uh, being uh, um, uh, it was being rehabbed, um, you know, an extended rehab project, which sort of shows you that, uh, you know, there's it's OK to shut it down for a, a few months and that won't be there will be no impact in, in terms of that. So. You know, we're not just saying this because uh, of some abstract notion. You know, this this what it it yields is of great importance. Um, so, if if you had to list your top guest, uh, who who would that be and why? All right, um, the top guest that we have had. Yes, um, I was. Uh, I really really enjoyed getting to talk to Phil Kwai, the writer. Um, he's a Marine. Uh, PAO um, veteran who served in Iraq and he uh, in Iraq and he came back and wrote a book called Redeployment which is a collection of short stories first person narratives told from a different uh, uh, a variety of different perspectives 
um, people who are affiliated with the war in Iraq and just an incredible writer um, and has a lot of, has, has obviously just reflected so much on the military's relationship with society and some of the, you know, the moral problems that come with a society asking men and women to go die on its behalf, um, yet being so disengaged from it, that we can have a war that's going on for 18 years and hardly anyone can can tell you what the aim or the objective of that war is. Um, and, and so he, he's just really fascinating and profound um, thoughts. I cannot do them justice here. You'd have to go listen to the full interview. Um, but I, I really enjoyed hearing his perspective and it, it just came from such a it came from a, a really raw place as opposed to um our, the guests of ours that have been like extremely high level policy makers how about you nick uh it was really really amazing to speak to chris marvin chris is the founder and former director of an organization called got your six which partners with the media and with hollywood to try to uh, create accurate veteran portrayals on screen. Chris spoke at length about how a lot of Americans' perceptions uh, and views on the military come from what they see on screen and how it's important to really make those as accurate as possible uh, and just present the fact that, you know, being a veteran isn't defining of your whole identity. It's just a past life. It's one of your many, many experiences uh, that you've been through. He also uh, was very well spoken about his beliefs on the authorization for the use of military force, bringing up how that hasn't been renegotiated since 2001, uh, and, and how that has a really profound effect on civil relations. That's a really good point. Uh, one of the, I would offer for you guys, if you're, if you're picking this up again and continuing the podcast next year in your second year of the program, you might interview CJ Chivers, who uh, has won a Pulitzer for his book, The Fighters. And, and he's delved into, you know, particular sailor, uh, sorry, soldiers and Marines stories in Iraq and Afghanistan, right? And gets down, you know, as you mentioned, very granular, very raw, uh, very realistic portrayals of, you know, what it's like to fight, what it's been like to fight in those two wars, you know, for from 2001 on to really almost to today, or at least till 2015 or 16 or so was kind of the cutoff, I think, of his book. But he would be a, probably a great uh, a great guest for you guys. Um, I wanted to ask you one, one final question because we're kind of running out of time here. But uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, sort of um, portraying the military and exposing the military to civilian people, right, to your counterparts, at, at University of Chicago and, and broader who are not in the military and may never serve in the military, but you want to help explain to them, you know, the um, sophisticated, nuanced parts of the military so that they have a better understanding rather than, oh, thank you for your service. Um, what have you heard from your fellow students uh, on the other side, right, uh, that you would want to let people in the military, your fellow JOs, the midshipmen here who are interns this summer, whoever's listening to your podcast, uh, on your side of this of the story, if you will, the military side, uh, you know, from the from the civilian perspective, what's going on out there in America that perhaps the military in our own insulated bubble that that we don't know about from our classmates and from sort of the media exposure that we've received as a result of this podcast, we have been able to tell that there is a great appetite in America for 
learning more about civil-military relations and about the military. And I think it's often very tempting for those of us who are in the position that Nick and I are in. Like, um, you know, we we have the opportunity basically to kind of go undercover. We don't really have to tell anybody we're in the military. We look like civilians. We can dress like civilians um, and just kind of pretend that that um, part of ourselves doesn't exist. And what we have learned um, as a result of, of kind of leaning into that identity with this podcast is that, that people really do appreciate it. They, they, they might not know how to start a conversation with a military person. They might not know like, um, you know, what questions to ask or what kinds of things to say, but like they really, they, they really do um, enjoy learning more about this enormous entity that's important to our society and that takes so much of their taxpayer money. Like they, 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 I mean, we, uh, we found that just through our podcast, like there's been, there's been enormous appetite for us to be just more engaged with our civilian counterparts. Well, that's, that's I'd very on, cool. I to that point about engagement that, uh, you know, we're military professionals and part of be, being a professional isn't just knowing, um, your own craft and your own subject matter, but it's being able to relate that subject matter to your clients. Uh, if we think about uh, the medical profession, doctors know all about the human body, but it isn't enough just to know about the body to be a doctor. You need to understand your patient's needs. And so for military professionals, our client, our patient is the American public. And so really being a professional in the military context is understanding how to relate what we do to our civilian counterparts. That's well said. So how do people find the podcast? Um, you can find it basically on any um, podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, and just, just search Thank You for Your Service. All right. So we've been uh, talking to Ensigns, Tom Krasnation and Nick Pareso. Both are students in the Masters of Public Pro Policy program at the University of Chicago. They're Naval Academy graduates of class of 2018, both headed to uh, uh, serve in the nuclear Navy, one as a submariner, one as a surface warfare officer after they finish their master's degree uh, next year up in Chicago. Uh, they are the hosts of uh, a podcast, a popular podcast called Thank You for Your Service uh, that comes from the University of Chicago. And uh, Nick and Tom, thanks for joining us today. Uh, all the best luck as you uh, hopefully get some, some time off this summer and then uh, go into your second year of your master's program and continue this podcast. And we hope to have you on the show again, you know, perhaps a year from now when you're done and then um, a year or two after that, once you're out in the fleet and serving on a submarine and on a, on a DDG. So again, thanks for your time and thanks for what you're doing. I, I think the, uh, the idea behind your podcast is, uh, is brilliant. Thanks so much for having us on. We appreciate it. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Proceedings Podcast. As always, victory begins at the Naval Institute. Join us again next week. Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by Hydroid. Hydroid's small, medium, and large class Remus unmanned underwater vehicles are used worldwide to collect valuable data in waters up to 6,000 meters deep for mine countermeasures, hydrography, and search and rescue operations. Learn more about Remus UUVs at www.hydroid.com.